Welcome to the Learner.co show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co-founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned. Discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit learner.co. That's learner with two L's, dot co. Welcome to the first episode of the learner.co show. I am one of your co-hosts, Kevin Horick, and I am joined by Greg and John. Greg, maybe do you want to give a quick intro on yourself? Sure. I'm Greg Oldring. I've been doing startups for my whole career going back to 1995 and CEO of Learner. John? And I'm John Larson. Uh, I've also been doing startups for over 15 years, and uh, I'm really interested in people's learning journey. Very cool. And uh, I'm Kevin Horick. I'm also one of the co-founders of uh, Learner. We're excited to have Shridhar Ramaswamy, the co-founder of Neva, on the show today. Had the pleasure of actually using Neva for a number of months. For those of you that haven't heard of Neva, it's basically a privacy-first search engine. It actually works really well. I, I was a little skeptical when I went to try it out for the first time because I, I think anything like Google's such a behemoth in, in the space. But Shridhar actually used to work at Google, um, really helped them along the way in the, their ad Google ad space. So very much understands the space and privacy and everything about that. And I'm excited to learn more about what he's kind of learned along the way, why privacy matters. And, and I'm excited to have him on the show. Like, what do you guys think? Oh, I'm really excited about this interview. Um, I've, I've heard him interviewed a number of times, including on your show, Kevin. And, um, and I'm just really interested in delving into what, um, what he's learned along the way, um, what's inspired him, what he was surprised by, both at uh, Google, um, Greylock, and, and now at Neva. Um, I think it's going to be a fascinating interview. Yeah, I'm, I'm also really excited because I think his background is so interesting. You know, he's, he's lived in more than one place. He's studied in more than one place. And he's got a career in tech that now maybe is kind of defined a bit more, though, in things outside of tech. Because privacy isn't really a technological problem. It's kind of more of a philosophical one. And so that's really fascinating. I'm, I'm excited to see what sort of corners and things that are outside of his lane where he's learned from. So see where this goes. Yeah, and I think the other thing too, and we've talked, the three of us have talked about this before, is just the three of us have different perspectives on how much of our own personal privacy we're willing to give up. And I'm the one that, is fine giving away probably the most out of the three of us because I think there's some sort of convenience attached to it. I also feel like I don't really have that much stuff that I guess I don't really care. I, that being said, though, there are certain companies that I will not put their app on my phone because I don't want to give them any more details than they already have about me. So I guess I, I'm willing to give it to some companies, but not every company. Uh, John or Greg, thoughts on that? Well, I'm the middle, so yeah, I'm, I'm somewhere in between the two of you, right? 
So yeah, that spectrum is really interesting. And I think, I think it's, it's true for a lot of people. And I think it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, on the course of Neva and, and, you know, what Shradar has to say, you know, where maybe we fit uh, for ourselves using Neva going forward too. It's going to be cool. John? Well, and you're both under the impression that I have the strongest views on privacy, but I was just <laughs> thinking that um, I, I, I use, I use the, some of the Facebook products and, uh, and so that you're obviously trading, um, you're making a trade there, you're, um, for their tools, you're, you're giving their, you're, you're letting them uh, broker your information. Um, but I do think that I think a lot of people are looking for a new model that is different mm -hmm. than what Google and a number of the social media companies are going with these days. And I think that's what's really fascinating as well as how they're looking at, um, at approaching Neva as a, as a business model and just what they see as the future of search and, and other online tools as well. Fascinated to see what actually happens with this show now too. This is the first episode, so let's make it a winner. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's get to the interview. And uh, if you stay on after, we'll uh, do a quick little wrap up between the three of us. On with the show. Welcome to the learner.co show. Today we have Shradar Ramaswamy. He's the co-founder at Neva.com. Shradar, welcome to the show. Kevin, super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to, well, have you on the show again. You were on my other show a bunch of months ago, and I thought you would be the perfect first guest for this new show that we're building uh, around an app called learner.co. I think what you're gonna share today is gonna be super, super valuable and educational for pretty much all the listeners. But before we get into all that stuff, maybe let's start off with your background and where you grew up. Totally. Um, I grew up mostly in uh, uh, South India, to a middle-class family. Neither of my parents went to college, but education was always a thing. Uh, my parents saw that as uh, sort of, you know, a way into middle-class, to buying a home, to prosperity. So they always trust that a lot. Uh, you know, Asian family is always a lot of pressure on stuff like that. Um, I was lucky I got into, uh, you know, one of the best schools that there is was in India, IIT Madras. Got a, great, uh, got a great education there, then got a PhD from Brown on uh, uh, the East Coast. This was nearly um, 30 years ago. And uh, yeah, that brought me to this country. And uh, I've been here ever since, proud uh, citizen of the US. Both my kids were born here. So I am your classic immigrant story. No, I, I think that's that's great. So walk us through your career maybe some highlights and some learnings and, and maybe some, hopefully some failures along the way. Cause I think somebody like yourself, that's had tremendous success talking about still going through failures and dealing with failures makes people that are just starting out, been doing it for a long time. I think it just gives them some perspective and, you know, sometimes it picks them up when, when they're down. So, so can you maybe give us a bit of a, some career highlights and uh, walk us through your journey? Yeah, totally. Um, I think dealing with failures, being resilient to them, believing in yourself uh, is one of the most important things. 
um, that uh, we all need to uh, need to learn. Uh, I'll start with an early one. I told you I went to IIT Madras. Um, the way it works is uh, it's basically like a college entrance examination. You can think of it like an SAT, but think SAT is like literally the only thing that will be used to give you a rank, and that rank decides which college you get into. And so you take this, you know, straight out of high school. And I did. Um, and uh, it comes in. It's four parts: uh, physics, chemistry, math, um, and an optional part in language. Uh, and uh, I did terribly. And after the first day, these are four, you know, four exams over two days. After the first day, I was like, uh, I am so bad. I don't even want to go for the second day. Um, gave wow. up, went home. And uh, and then I said, you know, I'm going to really try, try um, hard at it. Took a year off, um, pretty much, you know, sat in one room and studied for an entire year and took that exam again. It's crazy looking back at it, but I had the belief in myself to want to do that. Um, I, I, I made it in. Um, that was sort of like a big deal uh, for me. And, uh, you know, and similarly, uh, I did research for close to 10 years. I got a PhD, uh, you know, at Brown in computer science. Uh, to be honest, I was not a great researcher, uh, but I, you know, I tried. Uh, I got into Why do you say code. that? Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, it's one of those things where um, you can see it, you know, how productive you are how like really enthusiastic about the work that you were, how much your heart is into it. Um, you know, with the wisdom of age, I'll say like, um, you should pick professions that like enthrall you, where work does not feel like work. Looking back, research didn't feel like that. It was always hard. You know, I got some papers because I'm also stubborn, um, but I was not a great researcher. Um, so, you know, I worked at places like Belcore and Bell Labs, but then said, you know, I just want to go write software, work for a company, create products it went so much better. So for example, that career shift um, is an example of a kind of failure. It's my saying like, yeah, Sridhar as a researcher, not so hot. Um, you know, try my hand at being a software engineer. That's also when I, you know, got my first taste at managing teams, being a leader. And, you know, that worked out much better. I joined as an IC at Google, an individual contributor writing code for a living, to running a team of 10,000 people. I just like it's inconceivable even to me wow. um, that one can do stuff like that. So I think this, you know, yes, there is this evolution. You want that success, but occasionally you sort of have to reset um, and say you're going to try something again or switch directions completely. Neva is a similar story. I went from being an exec in a big company to like team of three, my two co-founders, um, and now we are about sixty people. Clearly, running a team of sixty or a company of sixty has nothing to do with like running a team inside a giant company like Google. I think all of these experiences are great, but um, it falls into this overall theme of you got to reinvent yourself, you got to try new stuff, you're going to fail along the way, but hopefully the successes more than make up for it. No, I think that's actually really great advice, but how did you kind of pick yourself up after these failures and just decide to not give up and, and pivot basically because that can be very scary in itself and it sounds like you've done that a few times right and and sometimes you chose to do that and other times you were kind of forced to do that yeah it's hard i'm 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 not sure that uh there are simple answers uh you know uh, as i said looking for resonances looking for things where work doesn't feel like work where you're like i like doing this um that really really helps uh you know help uh helps a lot 
And uh, there is also this, uh, you know, this simple thing of believing in yourself. If there is one piece of advice that I would give to a younger me, it would be life's really long. And there's a lot of time <laughs> to do all kinds of stuff. Um, and it's okay to be patient. It's okay to like not burden yourself with so much expectation because I, I would put, I still do, put a lot of pressure on myself to get things done. I think having that core belief and also believing that there's plenty of time to get great things done, um, those are the best things that I can recommend. Everybody, you know, people have to kind of find their own formula, um, but I'll stress again, um, being kind to yourself, realizing that there is a lot of chance to have a big impact, regardless of what stage of life you are in, um, that can propel you forward. Sure. So how did you, because you made it very high up in Google, and I'll let you talk about that in a second. You're also, um, you still work, you're still doing some investment with uh, Greylock, and now you're doing your own startup. So yep. how have you managed to basically have a you had kids in america you mentioned how have you kind of managed being like a very busy executive at a, one of the biggest companies on the planet to you know doing investments again with one of the biggest investment firms on the globe and now doing your own startup like obviously you're a busy guy yeah i think it's important to have priorities um i've done relatively few things at any given point in time okay uh, and I don't do I, I don't do many things at Google, for example, I basically did two things. I worked at Google and I wanted to be a good parent to my two sons um, and uh, a good husband to you know to my wife. Um, so I was always there, for example, in the evenings to help my kids with homework. Um, I remember like you know working on problems from uh, like on, on, on a plane trip with like bad Wi-Fi. And I would send solutions to my kids or ideas about math problems that they were solving. Um, and uh, so when you know my 15 years at Google, I either uh, I just worked um, or I was home with my kids. I gave up on a bunch of like social activities. Didn't make it to a ski trip, you know, the famed Google ski trips, uh, until I had spent about 10 years at uh, at Google because you know evenings and weekends were for spending time with the kids, not for um, being on a ski trip. So again, you sort of have to find out what are the most important um, priorities. And if um, you know you were to ask me, even if I look back on the 15 years, yeah, I'm proud of like becoming an exec at Google and having an impact on the company. But I'm even prouder uh, about the fact that I was actually there for my kids as they were going through uh, school. Now they're in college and beyond. And so I think like having these kinds of priorities uh, about your most important relationships um, is important. Um, currently, pretty much all of my time is spent focused on uh, on Neva. Um, I have an association with Greylock Partners. I'm a venture partner there. It's a part-time job. I help them out um, because I know a bunch of people in a bunch of areas um, sure. in terms of just technical expertise and uh, and and connections. Um, but clearly, my focus is on making Neva the company uh, succeed, and that's what I end up spending a lot of time on. Sure. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So your education is very like computer science focused. What have you learned outside of computer science that's really helped you at Google and at Neva and throughout the rest of your career? Yeah, this is a really great uh, question. Uh, I think the early education that I got um, at IIT Madras and before that in India 
um, was very, very STEM focused. It was all about science and math and technology. Um, it's good uh, to have a firm basis, um, but I think it is also important to understand the broader world um, that we all live in the context of. And Brown actually did a fabulous job there um, because there's so much choice. Brown, as you know, has an open curriculum. He can go audit any course, sit on any course. Uh, so I learned a lot of literature, a lot of music. Um, and so it was really very, very expansive. Um, I'm a curious person. I read a lot. Uh, you know, some of my highlights during the last 18 months of the pandemic um, was reading the biographies of people like Mandela or uh, Martin Luther King um, or Gandhi. So I think like being um, informed of sort of what is the broader world um, of you know, of things like politics, which to obviously affect all of our lives a lot, and to understand the context in which progress um, is being made um, is really important for all of us. I'll give you a simple example. Sure. Um, as you know, um, Asians are basically forbidden from immigrating into the US up until 1965. Um, wow. And the Immigration Reform Act was passed primarily um, as a result of all the civil rights work that went on during the during the 60s. And so people like me, people like my uncle, who came in 1971 and got a PhD in chemistry, would not have made it out to the US if not um, for the civil rights struggle. Um, and wow. so it's important for immigrants to realize things like this. Yes, I got lucky that I came in, got a full scholarship to do a PhD, but you know what? There was blood, sweat, and tear tears that went into uh, providing these kinds of opportunities for us. To me, as I, you know, as I grew up, just relating what we got, what was possible, you know, for immigrants like me, with the broader context of how does society make progress, um, reminds you of how lucky you are. But it also tells you of your obligations to give back to the larger society that you are a part of. No, I, I had no idea. That's that's amazing. So. I'm curious, you mentioned a few other things there, music and, and a couple other things that have inspired you. Can you give us some other examples of why music and a couple other things have inspired you and have they inspired you when you decided to do Neva? And then I want to get into Neva. Yeah, I think, um, as I said, being informed of the larger world in which technology plays a role um, lets you then examine uh, sort of technology's roles in the good and the bad that has resulted in the last two years. Um, I would say, uh, you know, like broadening your horizon essentially gives you that kind of, uh, you know, of scope. Uh, to give you a concrete example, uh, all of us take it for granted that we should be as successful as we can be. It's kind of a dumb thing to say, but that's it's it's true, right? It's just like oh, all I of get us. That. Yeah. yeah, it's like all of us, like we are supposed to aspire to be billionaires. We just take it yeah. for granted. Like that, hey, that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, similarly, every company thinks that it is supposed to expand and get to be really big and be a trillion dollar company. That's what companies are supposed to do. Um, but at some point, you also realize, wait. Um, being a complete monopoly in an area might not be good for the larger society. Um, towards the end of my stay at Google, I, I, I also realized, yes, Google is incredibly successful, but a world in which Google is literally the only search engine that there ever is going to be. 
is not only bad economically, it's kind of scary. It's like one company being the arbiter of truth. Um, similarly, a situation in which anyone that wants to connect with a new customer on the internet has to pay toll to a Facebook or a Google or an Amazon, which by the way, is the current state of the world for all intents and purposes, is not one that's good for all of us. Um, I think that broad context, that recognition that monopolies um, you know, in the extreme are bad and that competition is important. You need the broader perspective um, to realize. Um, otherwise, you sort of simply take it for granted that the only way is like you know, up and to the right, so to say. Um, at some point, as I was saying, I was like, wait, um, we're going to end up in a situation where Google is going to be the only search engine. If you put in a commercial query, Google is only going to show you ads. And if you put in a non-commercial query looking for information, Google by itself, without any other website, was going to tell you what the answer to your question was going to be. I said, that's a terrible world that we are living in. Um, and all things unchanged, that is the outcome that we can all confidently predict. Um, in a large way, Neva came as like an answer to it is possible to solve a problem like this very differently. It is possible to rethink business models, to rethink what a great product should be, to innovate on the core idea of something as basic as search. We all sort of take for granted how search is supposed to work. But Neva was born both of the realization that monopolies are bad, that toll takers are bad, and that different models actually make us a better people. So uh, I would look at Neva as a way in which like all of my learnings, starting from technology, but then about people, politics, economics, behavioral economics, sort of come full circle into creating a product um, where we want to say, hey, we want to create technology that serves humanity, that doesn't exploit it. Um, yes, it's a, it's a small thing for a product, uh, but I think you know, that's, that, that's the basis of Neva. That's how you know, at least I think about innovation. No, that, that's very cool. So you came to this conclusion, but what made you decide to be the one to actually execute and build Neva? Good question. Um, you know, I, I have a tactical answer to this one, which is uh, I knew that if I uh, did not start a company, I never would. Um, I have, you know, like every other kid that there is or every other grown up that there is, I had dreamed about starting my own company, you know, to create a startup like sure. trying to be rich is the dream of every person in Silicon Valley. Um, sure. and, uh, and part of the reason why I left Google was like, I wanted to leave while I was still motivated um, to create a startup. Um, you know, Vivek, my co-founder and I spent a bunch of time talking about what it is that we would be excited to do. He's worked in search ads like me. He's also sure. worked on the Google Assistant. Um, and uh, so has a lot of expertise in the area. And we both realized that the only real way in which to innovate in search um, was to be diametrically different and opposite to how Google operated. Um, and uh, you know, while we uh, floated a bunch of ideas, this is how we came to the conclusion um, that this was where we wanted to start. Um, and we, we both love search. Um, because we think of it as the ultimate expression of just human curiosity. Uh, literally anything that comes to people's heads, um, they're going to put into a search engine. It's also a very personal product. If you have a headache, you're going to look for it. Um, if you have a scratch on your hand, you're going to look for what that means. Um, and so we wanted to create a product 
um, with a very different set of principles focused on you as the consumer and the customer. Um, and that's how Nevo was born. Very cool. So you guys let me in to play with Neva months ago and it was still, uh, I think in, in beta or, or closed right. beta and it's come, well, not that it was not a long way to begin with, but you've added a ton of really useful features. So do you maybe want to talk about the features that Neva has and kind of how it's evolved over the last few months? And then I would like to give you my perspective on how I use the product and see if that's how I should use it or if there's things around it or if kind of what feedback you've gotten around my thoughts, if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, I'd love that. Um, so at Neva, we think about product development along um, two axes. One is um, how do we satisfy those things that people just take for granted a search engine should do? Um, that's not easy because Google has been at it for 20 years, and clearly they have had some of the uh, best people on the planet, literally, um, working on that, on that product. So uh, we've done a lot of work on maps. Uh, we've added other things like currency conversion that people really care about, um, or uh, you know, better answers to, uh, to questions. Um, and so we call this the sort of table stakes, keeping up um, bucket. And uh, we still have work to do, especially in areas like local. Local search is very difficult, especially in very dense areas like New York City or Toronto. Um, and uh, getting that right, we uh, have a little bit more work to do. People ask us for things like uh, lyrics. If you search for the name of a song, people want to see the lyrics for it. Uh, and uh, uh, things like that, we will continue to add. That's one part of the team. Um, and then an equally important part is we have gotten firm feedback that uh, search quality needs to get better, especially when things get more obscure. Uh, there are long queries, for example, in, in technology, in programming, um, that we need to go, do better at. And so we have a good-sized portion of the team um, that is focused on building search infrastructure. Um, this is a little scary, because these are literally petabyte-scale systems. That's a lot of zeros um, that, uh, you know, we have to, that we have to be building. We have an amazing team that's busy at work on it. Um, the third part, and this is the part that people get really excited about and we get excited about, are the places where we can innovate. Um, one of the core things that you get from being a customer-paid uh, subscription search engine um, is you do what's right for the customer. Um, and so giving people more agency over their search uh, is, uh, is a fun thing. We love doing it. Um, but it also makes a big difference for our users. So we've launched something called Preferred Providers. Um, you basically get to decide what kind of providers of news that you want to see um, when you search for news, all other things being equal. Um, we've also launched uh, a set of what we call facets. Uh, if you look for a medical concept, for example, we want to tell you uh, very clearly how you can look just at government websites versus ad-supported um, websites. So supporting this kind of personalization is important to us. Uh, we've also added a number of what we call connections. You can now bring in data from Figma, from Box, from other applications that you use so that you can search for it all um, within, the, within the same search box. Um, so that's roughly the three axes by which we've been, um, you know, that, that we've been innovating. 
Uh, plus, we do a lot of just like growth experimentation with different copy, different sites, um, uh, and, uh, and, and so on. And we want uh, to use the power of being able to build this tech stack ourselves to create more and more useful things. People have asked us for things like, hey, when I look for clothing, let's say, I want you to only show me retailers that ethically source their materials. Or I only want to see small retailers. I don't want to see the big box retailers. Being able to support features like that, um, very visual experiences for travel. People love looking at pictures when they're thinking of where they want to go for their next vacation. Um, these are some of the things that uh, uh, are on uh, our roadmap. But of course, I want to hear what how you've seen the last three, four months and what you think we can do better. Sure. Well, I, you touched on one of the things that I think is my favorite feature is, and it's hard to explain, but I'm going to try my best and maybe you can you can correct things or, or add some stuff to it. But I find Neva more like a dashboard that does search than almost like a, a competitor to Google. And I'll explain what I mean by that is because what one of my favorite features that you guys added uh, well, you've added more recently is the ability to add integrations with Slack and Google Drive. And and so why I feel like it's more of a dashboard to me is it finds stuff obviously online when I want it to find stuff online, but it also finds stuff that's relevant in my own personal uh, like drives or, or apps, right? And I find that so useful as somebody has multiple drive accounts and multiple Slack accounts and multiple emails and the list goes on and on. The fact that you guys put it all into one interface has saved me so much time that I, it was a problem that like I knew I had, but I didn't know how to solve that. And that's one of my favorite things about Neva. The other thing I would say when I first started it, Obviously, I would do a search in Neva and then try and Google to see if I'd get the quality right. of the results, right? And That's I think right. Right. Um, the, the nice thing about using Neva is like, if you want to go to Google, you can go to Google. But for me, it's like I've been using it more as like a, a dashboard landing page. And when I'm searching, like I find what I'm searching for, but I also find, you know, past Slack conversations or... Uh, Dropbox files or Google Drive, like stuff like that. I didn't realize how innovative and important that stuff is to me. And I know when I go to a Google and start, I start looking for that stuff and then I'm like, oh yeah, they don't do that. So I think the fact that you guys have kind of aggregated my life into an interface that I call a dashboard for lack of a better term for it, has yeah. be really been one of my favorite uses of Neva. And a lot of busy people like you uh, love that. You know, I uh, my life runs ironically on uh, on on Google Drive. All my personal stuff, you know, uh, uh, investments or passport, all the documents sure. in my life, um, they're all basically in Drive. And being able to search for that easily um, is, uh, uh, is 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 super important. Um, and uh, there's a there's a lot more fun stuff coming in terms of how you can better organize things. I don't know if you've used a feature that we have called uh, Spaces, um, yeah, but love it. you can make a, yeah you can make a space of like uh, you know web pages or other documents that you care about, and then you can uh, you can share it with a friend, a spouse, um, uh, a colleague, um, and the two of you can collaborate. Um, it's like a folder of bookmarks, but it is so much more um, because you are actively collaborating on it. 
Um, we want you to be able to put like news alerts into these uh, uh, into these spaces. Um, there is a lot that uh, we can do. We also have a great iOS app. Um, in between, we hired Darren Fisher, literally the guy that was the head of the Google Chrome team. And That's so awesome. they've been busy at work creating an amazing um, app first for iOS, and uh, soon there'll be an Android app coming. And there's so much more that we can do um, in that um, that we are excited about because um, you know that is a complete browser plus search experience sort of packed into into one. There's a lot more scope for uh, innovation. Um, you know, you know, we're a little bit like uh, kids in a candy store. We sort of have to watch ourselves and say, hey, let's do really, really like the most important things. But yeah, being able to um, connect your uh, different accounts in which you have information um, and being able to search through it all from one search box is something that people love. Um, I tweeted about this recently. From the Chrome bar, you know, from the browser bar, if you type in, you know, uh, Kevin at files or uh, Sridhar Ramaswamy at my, um, it'll take you directly into the personal tab and it'll bring up the conversations like that you and I have had. You go straight yeah. into the personal tab. And so like these little shortcuts um, that just help you get at what you want quickly, uh, that's, it's just super fun and a lot of users love it. Sure. Well, and then even just simple stuff like you pull in the stocks that I've invested in, the weather, my calendar, like simple things like that, that it's like a full on kind of dashboard that goes kind of wherever or shows me kind of whatever's coming up or, or what I'm trying to look for that's relevant to what I'm searching or not searching, which I find really useful. But one question, and you kind of touched on it, but I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into is how do you handle some of the controversial stuff that you know we keep reading about that's showing up in you know a lot of the other platforms are, are dealing with stuff that's like true or not true like how do you decide which search results actually show up in neva and how do you validate that they're actually good search results yeah so figuring out which domains are trustworthy um, okay. is one of the most important things that a domain um, can do. And a big difference between social media and search in general, this is not specific to Neva, um, is that um, it is hard to build up trust for a website quickly. Um, because the way you build up trust for a website is to get reputable websites to point to you. Um, right. And reputable websites will not point to disreputable content in general. Um, and uh, and so trust is a core element of how a search engine operates. That's part one. Um, the other thing that we do is um, we think of it as our responsibility, our job to give you additional context around the results, around the sites that you are going to visit. Uh, so for example, I talked about medical queries. Um, there is a similar effort for programming queries. And then we have a feature that we are about to launch for legal queries, where we'll basically make it super easy for you to tell, is this from a reputable government website? Is this from a nonprofit? Or is it from you know, a lifestyle magazine? There are all kinds of people that will tell you, hey, having like basil with rosemary will make you lose weight. I don't know if that's true or not, um, <laughs> but sure. people will go make claims like that. Um, right. we, wanna be, we wanna be clear and say, Yes, it's fine for you to read that, but understand this is a lifestyle magazine. 
it is not a medical journal. So providing that kind of context. Um, and then we are also talking um, to a few other companies about, um, for news sites, how do we provide additional information? For example, things like, uh, does a news site have an editorial policy? Do they actually publish corrections? Where do they get funding from? Um, and uh, you know things of this kind of nature. But that's what we try to do, which is first, we make sure that trust is established slowly, and it works fine on the web because trust is established kind of slowly, but then we also want to provide that additional context um, around the site and the result so you can decide for yourself, is this trustworthy? Um, if, a, if a page is ad-supported, we kind of want you to know that. And in the future, we'll also tell you things like, hey, this page has 10 ads compared to this other page that has three ads. It's up to you. Like You should be in charge of where you want to go. We want to give you agency, but we want to give you the additional context so you get to decide you know, how you want to deal with search. Sure. No, I, I think that's great. Well, and you guys also have like an ad blocker. Do you want to talk about that quick? Oh, 100%. So we don't block ads. We have, we call it tracking prevention. Basically right, okay. what that does is um, it stops third-party sites that have nothing to do with the site that you're on from keeping track of what you're doing. Let's say you go to a site like CNN.com. All of us, you know, CNN, it's kind of reputable. Um, but the fact of the matter is... Um, uh, the people that run the CNN.com site also run code from 100 other companies on their site, and they all keep track of what you're doing. So what we do is our philosophy is that, hey, if a company wants to be ad-supported, that's their thing. We don't want to prevent them um, from doing their work, um, but we do want to stop third parties that have nothing to do with that company from keeping track of what you're doing. So we do ship an extension um, that blocks trackers. Um, I, our iOS app also does the same thing. Um, this is very similar to what Safari has done, what Apple has done. And the basic principle very much is that what you do online should be between you and the provider that you are, uh, you know, that, that you are dealing with. And wherever possible, um, we block off other people uh, from observing the conversation. By the way, this has had a nice side effect. Um, which is a lot of Neva users say um, that they feel a lot calmer and safer uh, searching on the web and consuming information because all those crazy remarketing ads that used to follow people, you know, yeah. you looked at a shoe, you kept seeing ads of shoes, that yeah. gets prevented because we block tracking. And so a lot of people um, say that like feeling calm is one of the benefits of using Neva because they're not being chased all over. Interesting. Is there anything else that maybe surprised you that you've learned along the way, whether building Neva or uh, in, in your past lives at Greylock, doing some stuff for Greylock or, or Google? Because I think that calm is probably surprising to you, that you probably never thought of that. Is that fair to say? 100%. Never. I would not have especially put that as like a top two benefit. The top benefit that users told uh, users tell us now is that they think was better for the world than ad-supported business model. Again, I'd have thought like people would kind of be jaded about this kind of stuff. Um, but no, uh, the early Neva users um, pick these two as like the two top benefits of uh, using Neva. But I guess my bigger lesson here is follow the user, listen to the user. Um, sure. We do a lot of user research, uh, but you know it ebbs and flows. Uh, sometimes we we are busy with other stuff. We start doing less. 
we're actually going through a phase in which we're doing a lot of user research right now, last week, this week, um, and the findings surprise us. We're like, wow, we really should do more of this because understanding users, having that conversation on an ongoing basis um, is really, really important. Um, and you know, all of us like to think that we can be that average users, but you know what? Um, nothing beats actually talking to them and getting that feedback, especially as your product is changing. You might create a great app, um, but after a while you're used to how the app looks and feels and behaves. Totally. You're gonna to be totally shocked by how a brand new person that knows nothing about Learner, what their reaction is to what you have built. No, 100%. Do you have any general findings from some of this research that that either maybe apply to Neva or just kind of building a startup in general? Um, I would say doing user research, having um, people in your team, or learning good principles around how you conduct this research. Um, okay. Things like don't lead people along, ask open-ended questions, be patient, listen, um, and uh, and don't like immediately take user research as gospel. Use yeah. that to inform hypotheses that perhaps you run surveys, you run larger quantitative tests on. There's like a methodology to learning um, from, uh, from, from users um, that can lead to really insightful and often surprising conclusions. Um, but it's important to have that discipline both about how you talk to potential users and customers and how you then figure out sort of what to take away as learnings um, from that. It's a little bit of uh, it's a little bit of an art, but I would say it is really important for all founders, uh, startups to invest in that and sort of keep investing in it because you want that voice of the customer to be reverberating in your head all the time. No, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to dive into privacy a little bit. I mentioned earlier about connecting apps and stuff. You do not collect any of the that data on your servers, correct? Do you want to maybe explain that? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, this is an ongoing topic that uh, um, we are trying to figure out how we can get better. So, when you connect your private, um, you know, your personal accounts, uh, that data is indexed by an automated system, um, and. Uh, um, when I, you know, when you construct an index, a lot of that information in that system, the, you know, the titles, things like that, are present in indices. First, um, we make sure that absolutely nobody other than you uh, gets to look at your private information. We design systems. We like are continuously running tests to make sure that, um, you know, nothing can go wrong with respect to with respect to access. And whenever that information is uh, stored. Um, whether it's on, say, S3 on disk or in transit, we make sure that it is encrypted. Um, but the flaw still is that the few people that have like root access to all of the production systems, they technically have the capability to look at this data. Of course, everything is logged, and we have strict policies within the company that say like, hey, there is zero reason to ever look at anyone's personal data. It is forbidden, and anyone, including the founder that is um, you know, found to do this, um, will be immediately fired from the company. But we want to create systems that are end-user key encrypted. What we mean by that is only you should be able to um, uh, 
decrypt and search over your data as you're doing as you're doing the searching. This is the you know this is the holy grail. It's a little bit of a research topic. Um, how to do? It's called uh, you know um, uh, like homomorphic search, where you can actually search over encrypted data. That's the thing that we are driving um, that we are driving towards. Um, but your data is used to serve you results. Um, it is obviously like never used to show ads or ever sold to anyone. Um, but we want to get to that final stage of everything is completely encrypted with your keys in a way that no one can decrypt it. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So, have you found corporations, governments, or people in the education space have have adopted this because they don't want some of their data in the big companies, or they don't want the big companies knowing what they're searching for? Um, so that is definitely an angle. It's one of the main reasons why um, users end up trying a Neva, trying a uh, trying a duck. Um, our we don't yet sell to companies per se. It is something okay. that we are actively looking into, especially with the connected apps that you're talking about. As you can imagine, in the context of uh, you know work and uh, like a, a, a company in which data is split everywhere, um, those like being able to search over all the data is uh, is super useful. For now, we are focused on selling to consumers and prosumers. Um, there is an enterprise business to be created here, but we're just beginning to think about it. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So you had a uh, you talked about some failures um, throughout your career, but you had one recently related to switching your keyboard style. Do you maybe want to elaborate that because I find that uh, an interesting story? Yeah, you know, as I said I've I, I've done things. I've uh, learned a lot of stuff, been successful. At, uh, at at places like uh, Google, but uh, it's important to keep uh, keep trying, keep challenging yourself. Um, and some of them will come out fine. Others, uh, you know, maybe not so much, and that's fine. Uh, so about a year and a half ago, uh, actually March last year, I decided to change my keyboard style to uh, you know Dvorak from the traditional QWERTY keyboard, and I thought like this would make me faster. And uh, you know, I tried for months. Sure. And it was very painful. You know, I went from being like someone that typed at 100 words a minute uh, to like 20 words a minute because when you switch a keyboard, it just slows sure. you down. Totally. Um, but even after a year, I had not gotten past 80. And about uh, six weeks ago, I switched back to QWERTY. And uh, I am back now at, uh, you know, at like 100 words a minute. Um, I'm not sure that there is a big uh, learning here other than that you know trying is uh, uh, trying is really good um, but I think this is just part of an ongoing journey I we've had a great intern this summer and she's been teaching me how to make TikTok videos um, oh, I mostly worry that uh, I'm making a fool of myself but uh, I'm like wait there's like a lot of detail this stuff is hard making good <laughs> TikTok videos um, yeah, yeah yeah you can like edit it and put like little captions and um, and splice in multiple videos. I was like, that's a lot of work to do inside a little app, uh, but it's been fun. <laughs> I think that kind of learning is super cool. Um, early last year, my um, big challenge and fun item, I, I learned swimming. I had a coach last oh, year before the pandemic, and she was teaching me flip turns. And that was like the hardest thing to do, to convince yourself like to go straight into the water and flip over and come back. Um, but I think like, you know, the, these things keep you young. These things remind you that there is uh, fun stuff to learn, fun stuff to get done. 
and you're not going to be great at everything and that's okay. No, I, I think that's that's really good advice, but we're kind of coming to the end, but I'm curious to know, is there any books or podcasts or any other resources that you would recommend that you felt were really, really useful throughout your journey, whether it's past, present, or, or maybe for the future? Gosh, there's a lot. I um, I read a lot. I read a lot of business books. I listen to a lot of uh, you know of of podcasts. Um, I will um, mention a few of them. I okay. am uh, um, happy to share a, like a Neva space of books that I've read in the last uh, you know, 10, awesome. 15 days. Um, and uh, yeah, it's also linked off of uh, uh, Neva.com/community. But I'll share the space uh, you know with you. Perfect, thank you. Um, I listen to I listen to a ton of podcasts. Uh, people from Kara Swisher. Um, I like the Ezra Klein show. I think he is amazing. Not all about tech, but um, he's just so sure. thoughtful. Um, people like Alex Kantrowitz and uh, you know uh, Scott Galloway. Uh, and then in terms of business books, uh, Tim Wu, who is a special advisor to the Biden government on antitrust, has written some pretty celebrated books. If you want to learn about the history of tech and communications. Uh, you know, I highly, highly recommend the Master Switch. Um, it's a great, uh, it's a pretty short and great book. Uh, and there are a ton of biographies that have made my uh, life so much richer. Um, when you hear of the struggles that people like Nelson Mandela or uh, you know Gandhi or Martin Luther King went through, um, you know sometimes your troubles don't feel as uh, as big, and you realize what sacrifice and striving um, are. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a rich world. Lots lots to sample from and lots to be inspired by. Very cool. But sadly, we're out of time. So how about we close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Neva, and any other links you want to mention? Absolutely. Um, yes, Neva is the world's first ads-free private subscription search engine. We are in a free trial period. Um, you can try us for three months with no obligations. Uh, you can set up an account at neva.com, N-E-E-V-A um, dot, uh, uh, dot com. Uh, and yeah, we would love your feedback on, uh, the, uh, on the product. And if you want to drop me a line, it's my first name or my last name at, uh, at neva.co. Perfect, Shradar. I really appreciate you again taking out uh, time out of your busy day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you, Kevin. It's always a pleasure to chat. Yeah, thanks very much. Really enjoyed it. Talk soon. Okay, bye. Take care. Bye. I don't know. I thought that was a pretty good first interview. That was great. That was stellar. <laughs> that was amazing. That was a fantastic the, guy, first of all. The, like, yeah, like the <laughs> nicest dude, hey? Yeah, I mean, it's one thing. It's exciting to have somebody that is as bright as he is on the show. His, his humility and his just genuine nature really comes through. Um, and that was just wonderful to listen to. And that's that was great. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to do more of this. How do we get more no. people like Shadar? I think we well, the, the sad reality is there. Yeah. it's not going to be all downhill from here no, but, no. Yeah. but but there will guy. be I, some I, peaks I, and valleys of yeah. the people that we have going forward um yeah. the the nice thing about him is he he's kind of like brutally honest about even what they struggle with as a product right and somebody that's yeah. raised 
70 million plus dollars and he worked at Google and he still has these fears and he still talks about the struggles and he still talks about how UX and design and developers still get it wrong and they're doing research and they have the money to do. It's just, mm -hmm. it's inspiring to people. I think if they actually pay attention to some of that stuff that look, yeah. they're not going to get it right. I don't have a hope in hell of getting it right either. Right. And that's okay. Coming out of the gate. There were points where I wanted to just hijack the whole conversation <laughs> and just nerd out with them about <laughs> some of the things he was talking about. No <laughs> I fair. To, I want to jump on the call. What I think is really interesting is that they're doing something that really could change the way tech is going. And uh, I think that's what, and how passionate he is about that. And I think that's yeah. really was that's what made, you know, as a, a great interview when he talked about how it's bad that, uh, that Google has a monopoly on search and how search is so important and core to people as, a, as individuals and that, they're both a monopoly and and these big companies take a toll and that's not good for anyone i thought that was really that's interesting a, that was yeah. i agree that is so interesting and it's such a bold thing for him to actually voice publicly he worked at google but also he's doing a startup that i think a lot of people would say the playbook for it is to become a monopoly so yeah. That's a really fascinating thing to hear from him. And he obviously has been able to raise money quite a bit of it with that message still. And and that's that's actually really encouraging because you know that so much of the narrative that we hear, I think, or for startups is to become a monopoly essentially. And that's the power that you get. I mean, there's a lot to be said about that, but um in terms of making money and and being an investment. And so to be able to raise money saying, you know, that that isn't necessarily what we're after is being mon the monopoly. We just we want to be this great search tool that doesn't do this and people can pay for it and we can create a huge sustainable business around that. That's really interesting. I wonder if you think back on the <laughs> the early days of the of the uh, PC wars, <laughs> if they're, you know, more of an Apple going for going for the a really with a, a really opinionated going at search in a really opinionated way and um and saying that we're doing it completely different than everybody else and and being really bold about it and when you think back to like the early apple microsoft that was or an ibm that was the way apple was yeah and actually that's a funny point because you could say i mean apple's opinionated approach has meant that they have a really small market share and in, in, in terms of number of users, like they are, they're the yeah. number two in a lot of things, yeah. in, a, in a lot of weird ways. They're just killing Dominant. it in a lot of other ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with that. So that piece they have really <laughs> nailed. Yeah. And it's a, you know, so maybe it's not such a bad strategy to be the number two uh, for certain things. It's just, you can still make a, you can make an awful lot of money if you want to, one of, or if not the biggest company in the world. Well, the other thing that I think was interesting, too, is how I think there's going to be a shift and you could kind of see it coming a little bit for the last few years is where people are willing to pay basically the price of coffee or maybe a little bit more, depending on what the service is for something that's specialized or that they're not tracked or their privacy actually matters. And you could start to see that or it gives them extra features or something like that. I think I wouldn't say freemium is dead, but 
I think a lot of people are starting to realize like, you know what, for five bucks, this is actually worth it to me to pay for something this. And yeah. I think even just some of the Apple stuff that they've been doing with some of their services and, and some of the stuff that obviously like Neva and other people are doing, it's, it's worth it. Right. And you end up maybe spending 30 or 40 or 50 bucks a month just on little services that are giving you extra or not sending other people, your stuff is actually really relevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, you know, it, we're, we've gotten used to things being free for, you know, to the consumer, like not paying money anyways for things, but maybe paying in a different way. Um, and and it's actually not, it doesn't have to be that way. Like I, I've, I, I know my brother had a really funny conversation with his son years ago about paying, paying for apps, basically, when the app yeah. stores first came out. And, and he was complaining to his son about you know, he was spending money on the app store. And and his son's response was, Dad, you used to pay twenty five cents just to play a video game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on, <laughs> I'm paying yeah. four dollars, and it's you know I've got this thing for whatever. And and it's a really valid point. I mean, we we've we've made this progression. We we've, we've created this expectation that things would be free, but sometimes really cheap is actually fantastic, and you can get this service without some of those other without giving up. Uh, you know on other things or, or handing over control. It's great. Yeah, I know. I agree. I think it's interesting. Thank you for tuning in to the learner.co show. If you're looking to be a guest, try out our app or want to get in touch, please visit learner with two L's at www.learner.co. The music for the show is by electric mantra. Thanks for listening and keep on learning.